chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the river Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there they are to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, The ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, And they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful 
and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray as we begin, shall we? Father God, we pray now that you would open up your word to us so that we might see something more of you and we might be encouraged, each one of us, in the part that you have for us to play in your church, in this place. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. We're continuing with our sermon series this morning. It's church, but not as we know it. And um, it strikes me that some of what we've been doing over the past weeks is a little bit like learning to use a new language. And um, for those of us that have done that, that can be quite a difficult and um, challenging and frustrating thing. And so I wanted to start this morning, just to get us in the mood, with um, sharing some funny signs that I found on the internet where people um, have translated what they needed to communicate to the public into English, but with quite amusing results. There's the uh, sign at the uh, hotel lift in Paris, which reads, please leave your values at the front desk. (laughs) Or a sign in reception in a hotel in Bucharest, which informed people that The lift is being fixed for the next day. During that time, we regret that you will be unbearable. (laughs) Or on the menu of a Swiss restaurant, our wines leave you nothing to hope for. (laughs) An advertisement for donkey rides in Thailand, which read, would you like to ride on your own ass? (laughs) Sure, that drew a crowd. And uh, finally the airline ticket office in Copenhagen which boasted we take your bags and send them in all directions (laughs) some truth in that I'm sure so back to uh, the matter in hand this morning we're thinking about leadership and reimagining leadership and what that means for us in the context of a changing church and a changing society. And we're continuing this morning to use Phil Potter's book and um, allowing that to help us and shape what we're thinking about. But my hope this morning is that we'll see leadership as something broad enough for us each to see our part in it. So we don't see it just as traditionally as being the oversight within a church but actually look at it more in terms of ministry and leadership broadly so that we are all encouraged to see what God has for us and the ways which we can actively support and get involved with our gifts and our skills. And we begin this morning with a brief look at Joshua. There's loads in that reading and there's loads in the story of Joshua. And I encourage you, I'm sure many of you have read that book of the Bible, but if you haven't, then to have a look at the story in its complete form. But just from this chapter, we're able to see some things about Joshua and about his ministry when the time came for him to lead the people from the desert place in 
to the place of abundance and promise into Canaan. Firstly, we see that Joshua was somebody who learnt from the past. When you look back at how the story is shaped in the book of Numbers, Moses, when he's in that similar situation, wanting to move forward and hearing that from God, to move into the promised land, Moses chooses to send 12 people ahead of the people, 12 official leaders into the land of Canaan to act as spies, to see what was happening and what was to be expected. But the negativity with which they came back with and the stories and the fear actually stopped the people from going any further. All but two, which Joshua was one, actually were filled with such stories of dread that it prevented the people going any further. And so they remained camped out on the banks of the River Jordan. So Joshua learns from that, and we hear in chapter 3 of his story that he chooses to send two. He adapts what he does. He sees that actually 12, that wasn't maybe successful, and that he feels from God that two is the right thing to do. And they're not official leaders, but he just sends those right people. Secondly, we learn how Joshua was obedient. He was someone who heard from God and had the courage to follow. And in his book, Phil Potter uses a definition of a leader as being a person with a magnet in his heart and a compass in his hand. In other words, leadership is about having vision and about having an ability to sense where the Spirit of God is moving. But for most of us, I think we can be maybe a bit more, rather than being like Joshua, we can be like Thomas after Jesus has died and he's been told that he's come back to life again. And he says that until he's able to put his hands where the nails were, then he won't believe it. We want to experience something tangible before we commit ourselves to moving in a different direction. It seems to be something of human nature in that. And yet we have a God who wants us to be willing to see things through the eyes of faith, seeing with the heart long before we're able to see physically. And we need to pray that that's what we'll have, and that's what we'll have as a church here, as individuals and as a body together that actually we'll have that heart of faith because it's quite a daunting place to be and we need God's help to help us to do that. Thirdly, we see that Joshua chooses the right people for the right jobs and we hear in that story how he allocates those different roles to different people and how he sent out not the 12, not official leaders. He chooses and places the right people and he allows God to lead him into that. He chooses people that won't be intimidated by the size of the job or the scale of the enemy. People that enabled that group of people to, pa- to press forward and to indeed enter all that God had for them. And we also see how Joshua doesn't choose to go it alone. He waits until the time is right to move together with the people. He shares the task in hand with those around him. He recognises the gifts 
and skills of the people and knows that he doesn't have all that's needed on his own. And so Joshua helps us to see that actually a change for us now as well is just as true today as we move forward as church into new things. It requires a different kind of leadership and a different way of seeing things, one which is shared and collaborative and releases each person into the place that God wants them to be for the good of the whole community. And finally, with Joshua's story, we see how he doesn't give up. It was a really hard and challenging time. Even though they were moving forward into a time of blessing, it was a long and difficult and painful journey to enable them to live in the fullness of the promised land. That journey took a long time. But Joshua remains throughout all of it, focused on God, He stays obedient. We hear strikingly how he listens moment by moment to what God wants him to do. And then he acts at that precise moment. So how can we as a church be encouraged to increasingly be more like Joshua as we journey and make our journey forward together? How can we be shaped for mission in a changing world? or being inspired by Joshua. And Potter gives us now five helpful images to help us explore what leadership might look like, what ministry might look like, and need to look like in the future for a church which is uh, shaped for mission. And I want to share those with us now this morning just briefly. The first image is one that's given by church expert and expert in mission, George Lings, and he gives us an image of divers and surfers, and he encourages us to move as a church, maybe more in how we think about mission and how we connect with people, moving from being like divers in the safety of the swimming pool, as now moving towards surfers down on the beach. And um, if you've ever surfed, which I haven't, but it looks like it's quite a difficult skill to grasp. And actually the sea is far more unpredictable than the swimming pool. But actually we're encouraged to go and to be on the wave of what God is doing, to go where the move of his spirit is taking us. And it needs people who are courageous enough to have a go, to go to where the people are. And it leaves us with a question, how we do church. Could we nurture church around colleagues or friends over lunch, at work? Maybe similar to what Barry and Barbara have already started to do, where there's a common interest. And actually, instead of expecting people to come to us, they're really being encouraged to nurture church there with those people that they're connecting with. The second image is one of a sea and it's covered with rasps with people on them. And historically, generally speaking, the church would have seen its role as that of a lighthouse, standing on the the edge and just being able to draw people back to the safety of solid ground and solid faith. 
But now, actually, our society has changed, our world has changed in so many ways, so that the situation that many people are facing now is that they can't see through the fog of actually all these different ways of thinking about what's important in life and what's good about life and the values that they should hold to. And so they end up on rafts, if you like, living in a very unpredictable way without that certainty and without that strength and hope and stability. And so there's the call again for us as Christians to not just wait in the lighthouse and expect people to be able to make their way to the shore, but actually to be willing and go to go and attach ourselves to groups and to networks of people to help people to find stability and hope and light and community where they are. And so that leaves each one of us with the question of how we can do that, how we can be encouraged to look to meet the needs of people where they are, people who really need the church to journey to find them rather than expecting them to find their way to us. The third image is one which helps us to think about a move from retaining what we have to releasing. And um, it's the image of a starfish. And if we, uh, in comparison, take hold of a spider and um, cut its head off, if um, I'm sure our son's done this, he's uh, outside in the garden, I'm sure he's enjoyed doing this, but the spider will die, sadly. But um, when you do that with a starfish, when you pull off its legs, actually not only will it survive, but those legs will grow themselves into starfish. And it's quite a striking image, that image of being released and of new things growing and actually that not feeling like a negative thing, but it being a positive thing where people are set free to be and to have ministry and to build church where they are. It's a real natural thing. But it involves risk-taking. It's risky for those of us that are called to do that. And it also needs the backup of leadership and of church support so that it's not out of sight and out of mind, but actually it's a case of really mentoring and nurturing those gifts so that people are able to really thrive in those areas. And so the question for each one of us, how can we make ourselves available to be released in ministry, to be willing to play our part in what God has in store for us? The next image is one of a jazz band. And it's in comparison to that of an orchestra. An orchestra, I'm sure many of you will know, they're strongly structured and tightly led. And each person plays exactly the notes that they're given. And that's how it works. And the overall piece is pulled together by a conductor. And many well-led churches operate in this way and have done over the years. The leadership has a very clear structure and way of being. People have very defined ministries and they stick to those. And that's how the church operates. But the encouragement in a changing world is to be more like a jazz band 
where there's that greater sense of flexibility and freedom, a group of people who are playing together, but actually they might have different skills, different abilities, and something different to offer, but yet it still creates a wonderful thing altogether. We need to be ready to be responsive to the Holy Spirit of God and to be really encouraged to be a church that operates like that. And so for each one of us, there's the challenge, if you like, to think about how we can have that freedom and take responsibility for the things that God is placing on our hearts, not waiting to be told and held in what we do very tightly. And so the final image that I want to share this morning talks about and encourages us from moving from controlling to cultivating. And this image is one that's given by a guy called Tim Elmore and he wrote an article on what makes a healthy church. And he talks of the need for a mission-shaped church to be like a garden and therefore for leadership to be like the gardener. Gardeners create a place where creativity can happen, where people can thrive and grow. And they nurture an environment where this can happen. They make sure that the soil is clear of weeds and the soil is fed, and so that the community can be free to grow and to flourish. And so again, the final question for us this morning How can we play our part in that? What attitudes maybe need to change in our hearts so that we are free to do that? We're not waiting to be told, but we actually see ourselves as part of the garden where we can thrive and grow in freedom. So there we have it. An example of Joshua to inspire us and some images of how church and leadership can be shaped for mission. And I think this is quite daunting stuff in a way that actually it does require quite a change of mind. And it's not saying that we're moving away from all that we've been before. We're not. But we need each one of us to be encouraged in what God has for us in the future. The ways that he's going to provide us with greater freedom and ways that we can connect with our communities in better ways. And so let's be open to hear from God today, each one of us, to ask his Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts and to encourage us in the part that we have to play in this exciting journey.